This episode is brought to you by FX's The Veil, starring Elizabeth Moss. FX's The Veil is an international spy thriller that follows two women as they play a deadly game of truth and lies on the road from Istanbul to Paris and London. One woman has a secret, and the other has a mission to reveal it before thousands of lives are lost. FX's The Veil, now streaming, only on Hulu. Welcome to the New Books Network. Welcome back to the New Books and in Indian Religions podcast, the podcast channel here on New Books Network. I'm your host, Dr. Raj Balkaran at rajbalkaran.com. More importantly, I have two very special guests today. I have um, Dr. Ganesh Tite, who is Emeritus Professor at Tilak Maharashtra Vijapit from Pune, currently in Pune, and also um, uh, uh, his co-author, uh, uh, Dr. Yonut Moisi, Research Fellow at the Oxford Center for Hindu Studies, a colleague of mine at the OCHS. And by the power of the internet, uh, we have a call here uh, between North America, India, and uh, the UK. Um, welcome both to the podcast. Thank you very much. Yes, and my pleasure, my pleasure. Um, and we will be speaking today about um, a, a, an important and brand new publication as part of the Rutledge's Hindu Studies series. It's a brand new 2020 publication, and it's a publication um, of a translation of the Vaisheshika Sutra. For those of you who, who know what that is and might be excited, that's wonderful. And for those of you who have no idea what we're talking about, uh, we're going to explain the significance of this ancient Sanskrit text. Um, perhaps that might be a good place to start, actually. Will one of you maybe share, what is the Vaisheshika Sutra? Actually, Vaisheshika Sutra is the starting point of the Vaisheshika school of Indian philosophy. And it is a very important school. Um, in later years, Nyaya and Vaisheshika, both these schools were mixed together. But originally these two schools were different and Vaisheshika Sutras, they formed the beginning of that school. Uh, particularly in the text called Tarka Sangraha, we find that there is a uh, mixture of both the Nyaya as well as Vaisheshika uh, systems. Uh, although originally they were two different systems, later on they were mixed and uh, they were not considered to be different from each other. And uh, in general, we can call it the Indian logic. And um, uh, to some extent, we can also call it Indian physics. So this is one of the six uh, classical schools of ancient India, the Darshanas. Yes. Many of you in the audience will have heard, of course, of yoga, Sankhya. Vaisheshika mm. is one of the six Darshanas. Uh, it mm. is uh, classically where we find these brilliant um, aphorisms pertaining to um, logical thinking. So it's a fascinating yes. text. Yes. Do, do, does one of you want to tell us... Um, um, so... On the podcast, we've spoken with other um, authors who work with Sanskrit texts. Some of those texts need to be reconstructed. Some of them are, are critical editions. Some of them are a particular, um, uh, you know, a particular recension. How do you start off on this project? Is there an established text, or are you establishing one in this in this work? It is already established text, and it is well known. It was published uh, long back. 
um, by uh, Gaikwad Oriental series. In that series, that book was published, and uh, the real contribution of this school is also in enhanced by the commentary on this Vaisheshika Sutra text. And uh, in the book which has been published by us, Dr. Moise and myself, uh, it contains uh, the translation and uh, explanation of the sutras, of the commentary, and the uh, philosophical school as a whole. Are there other translations in English? Yes, there are several uh, translations in English, but they were um, quite uh, out of date. The first one is um, Sinha, which was published in the beginning of the 20th century. And then uh, uh, there have been others uh, attempts at uh, translating in Hindi. And Professor Shashi Kumar of Delhi University uh, is a um, uh, expert in that kind of literature because of her expertise in uh, Hindi language. And um, of course, the latest is uh, 20, uh, 2003 by Takur, but um, his uh, translation is rather eclectic. What he did was to translate the sutras, which he compiled from several sources, and um, adding under uh, uh, beneath each uh, an eclectic commentary translation a paraphrase of several commentators of Vaisheshka Sutra. Vaisheshka Sutra developed in at least three um, tra uh, traditions, according to my classification. Uh, and um, one is um, the tradition of uh, Chandrananda. Um, the other one is Prashastapada tradition, which is more... Um, uh, more of an innovator, a reformer of Vaisheshka Sutra, 5th, 6th century. And then we have the independent tradition, which spread in uh, um, Chinese Buddhist world up to Japan. Uh, a colleague of mine from um, Vilnius University wrote a thesis on that kind of reception of Vaisheshka uh, in this um, world, Chinese and Japanese. Uh, so um, there have not been um, um, translations on Chandrananda, which is the most important uh, commentator of Ayashishka. Why? Uh, first of all, because he is relatively early, 7th to 10th century AD, according to Achlukar, is a professor from Canada, um, who might hear us today. Um, but there is a Chinese scholar uh, from uh, the University of Shenzhen University, China. Her name is Huan Huang He. She is a professor who looked at Chandrananda and translated this commentary into Chinese, so we did not have an, um, uh, an English translation. Um, therefore, I, um, uh, I believe that uh, what we did is, um, with all its flows, uh, um, it's an important event for 
uh, Indian philosophical studies? The reason I asked the question about other translations is to underscore the significance of what's been produced, which is an accessible modern English uh, translation, uh, including the transliteration of the original sutras. It really is an important resource for anyone studying Vaisheshika or the Dashanas or who might be interested in Indian philosophy. Um, could you tell us a little bit about the project? I may add one point. It is Absolutely. not only translation. It is not only translation, but explanation also. So, um, a text, philosophical text like Vaisheshika Sutra, um, translation is only the beginning of the uh, study, but explanation is more important. And detailed explanation in a modern language like English is very useful. Because most of the readers in India, as well as in other countries, uh, they can understand English. And with the help of this translation and these explanatory notes, introduction, etc., they will be able to understand this philosophical school in a very proper manner. That is what we expect. Excellent. Tell us a little bit about that process of the, 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 the parsing or the commentary. Like, how did you... Um, how did you ascertain sort of what the, the verse would mean or, or, or what, did you, what resources did you draw on to produce that? We first well, tried to uh, give a literal meaning of every word because many times it happens, particularly in Indian languages, that uh, the scholars, when they translate, they keep the original words as they are and only add Hindi or Marathi suffixes. So that doesn't explain the point at all. But when a proper English word has been given, then at least some idea will be possible in the mind of the reader. And further, when explanation is given, uh, he can properly understand the exact purpose and the um, meaning of that sutra and the philosophical significance of that sutra. Anuch, you're about to say something? I wanted to say that the, the main problems we had when translating or revising the translations, which Professor Tita helped me to do, I had a rough translation, but it was not um, uh, trustworthy so I came to Professor Tita to uh, help me to revise it and we did it uh, um, in a very memorable uh, setting. Um, the problems we had and we did not fully agree all the time was which kind of translation we should uh, take. Professor Tita proposed like a philologist and uh, Indologist uh, as he is to have a very literal translation, word by word, if I well understood. Whereas what I wanted is to make a more readable, a more intelligible, and even philosophical translation. This is what I wanted to put forward, to, to contextualize an Indian text into a world philosophical language. Um, and uh, um, that was the main um, uh, the main tension we had, uh, and um, uh, finally we agreed about the the, um, the readability of this uh, translation. After Professor Tite gave me uh, feedback uh, from 
Um, my position in this respect is that the translation should be philological, but the explanation should be philosophical. And in this way, when both these methods, philological as well as philosophical, these methods they come together, then the the text becomes readable as well as uh, possible to be understood by a reader who has not been acquainted with this school of philosophy and also who is not expert in Sanskrit language also. He will, even if he reads only English, he will be able to understand the main contents of this text. You know, yes. and also I wanted to say that um, uh, in order to do uh, that uh, kind of uh, positive uh, compromise was for uh, what I did uh, was to put in brackets or remind the reader the subject which is always um, which is often not mentioned by uh, the sutras so I had to put in brackets what is the sub subject about because uh, uh, translating ad literam uh, word by word uh, it is intelligible only for that passage but not for the broader picture so it's always good to remind between brackets what was the subject well, we we touch on this theme uh, we have touched on this theme in a number of podcasts uh, the, the act of translating uh, you, the, you, literally versus um, conveying a sense um, uh, it, you know it's <laughs> i find that um, many folks really it's it's difficult to appreciate how much work goes into this process or or using sanskrit texts in many other disciplines uh, the text is established in a very different way um, and with Sanskrit text, there's a great deal of work that goes into ascertaining the text one will use, um, the, the parsing, the translation project. And I think it's really difficult to convey um, to, to many scholars in other uh, subfields uh, and beyond Hindu studies that uh, just arriving at a text to work with in English is a feat. I mean, that's an enormous feat. And that's what this, this publication has accomplished. It's making available these sutras to the English-speaking world in an accessible way, and that's not uh, that's not a small thing, right? That's something that that hasn't really come into existence before. So I just wanted to underscore that for listeners to understand the significance of what a work like this is doing. Um, I had uh, meant to ask you in terms of the process. I mean, you, you touched on it in passing, which is great. But what is the process like for when you're going from the Sanskrit Sutra to trying to render it into English? Is there a particular a stringent process you undergo? Um, do some of you take some verses? Do both of you take a pass at all the verses? What's that process like? As I mentioned just now, first we try to give a literal translation and that translation which is faithful grammatically also and which is um, translating each and every word uh, taking into consideration the literal meaning of that word and this may be somewhat artificial english language also but in that way we are faithful to the original text and while explaining then we can use the modern English language through which uh, a reader can understand the concept. So we try to do justice to the original text from its literal point of view as well as its philosophical contents. So from that point of view also. 
and that is the contribution of this text or this book to to the indian philosophical uh, studies i would like to complete and uh, add uh, something uh, which uh, professor tita just uh, said uh, in uh, in translating when translating uh, commentaries with sutras aphorism plus commentary Uh, there are two ways to go about. One is, for example, to uh, translate the sutra in the light of the commentary. This is one approach, only in the light of the commentary itself. Uh, and the second approach is to translate, to be aware at least about two layers of the text. First, sutra, which were um, created several centuries before the commentary and the commentary itself. So I am of the opinion that when we translate sutra-based commentaries, one should be aware about this time gap, but also about the, the conceptual gap that exists between them. What is in the commentary is not really and fully the teaching of the original tenets. So always I had in mind to reconstruct, on the one hand, the sutra philosophy, the philosophy of sutra only and the philosophy several centuries after of the commentary not all the time they agree so it's uh, the way in which i approach this text personally is there ever consultation with traditions who use the text currently yes indeed they are because um, uh, as i put in the at the end of the the, the book itself um, in the chart i gave um i have mentioned sources that mention either um they mentioned by shishka sutra either to refute it or to um, uh, approve it so there are the so called exonymic references to by shishka in buddhist and jaina sources and in order to reconstruct the earliest tenets of the sutra and the commentary one should go into other sutras or early commentaries like baba viveka tarkachpala or dignaga pramana samuchaya malavadin vadasharanaya chakram a jaina text another jaina text jinabhadra vishesha vashya bashya roha gupta shadulukka another jaina text so it's important and all philologists and indologists know that for reconstructing an indian text one should go into rival schools and text are there current schools of lived traditions that you're aware of who who keep alive this tradition professor uh, um now also there are numerous scholars who study all the text in the uh, philosophical uh, systems uh, namely vimamsa or vedanta or nyaya vaisheshika etc and this generally study uh, the text which belong to the later age that is the uh, text which have been written perhaps in 17th or 18th century or at the most 16th century in comparison to this uh, the text which has been dealt with uh, by us is comparatively older text and that is the beginning of the vaisheshika philosophy so from the point of the view of the history of vaisheshika school this text will be studied first and then 
only later on other text should be studied but in practice people study the original sutra text at the last stage and other texts which are comparatively later they are studied first and sometimes they neglect the original text uh, also and they give all their concentration on the later texts which are uh, very difficult and they consider it to be uh, a kind of their qualification that they can understand uh, these difficult texts they can go on uh, discussions uh, discussing these texts and so on but the original texts are neglected but here vaisheshika sutra is one of the original texts and it is also uh, there is also a good commentary of chandrananda there so therefore an effort is made to explain and translate this uh, text and that is why this uh, contribution of this text is very significant what do you include in the appendices we had the three appendices uh, one is um, um, Uh, the what i call the vaisheshika and world philosophy and i'm going to explain why i put these three appendices the second is um the history of vaisheshika scholasticism as far as i could glean from the uh, expert literature and uh, finally what um, i i made a contribution for people uh, who will come after aras and uh, try to put together a critical edition of vaisheshika sutra of chandrananda as reproduced by chandrananda and i helped by providing the location of all these manuscripts um and i am hoping that people in india who uh, scholars in india who listen to us now uh, would like to look up into their library photograph these manuscripts either make themselves a um a critical edition or send uh, to me this for uh, this manuscript photographs at least for my own collection because it's important to have all these manuscripts i have described in appendix 3 in order to um, to put together or a critical uh, edition of vaisheshika sutra so the appendix number 3 refers to vaisheshika sutra only not to the common commentaries so for me it's very important to following albrecht wessler um um proposal it's very important for me to establish first the sutra text and then go into the manuscript although who knows a, a, a good commentary my my um my reveal us a, a better sutra text than uh, the sutra manuscripts we have in indian and western libraries but the first uh, appendix which is important and it's my my uh, my idea has the role to put vaisheshika in a world philosophical context and for me uh, translation or um, philosophy must be uh, contextual and also comparative as well as philological it is not sufficient to do only philology but also to do what i 
like to call conceptual translations. Many people dismiss comparative philosophy nowadays, either because it's too hard, one needs several languages, or because it's too superficial. However, uh, comparative philosophy, philosophy, philosophy is comparative is a translation and is contextualization. And for that, we need to put together a world philosophical language uh, and vocabulary. And uh, appendix number one is aiming at putting Vaisheshka on the map of world philosophy. Of course, it's not complete this map because there are uh, African traditions uh, or traditions uh, or Latin American tradition, Chinese um, philosophical tradition, which have been have not been mentioned here. But my point was exactly that: putting Vaisheshka and Indian philosophy in a world context, in order to understand it as a philosophy, not only as a tradition or as a Hindu tradition. That's a, a fascinating idea. Uh, one of the things I often talk about in. Uh, more so courses, I think, in the odd public talk is is sort of how do we bring together world traditions in a meaningful way. Um, so with this with this uh, perhaps visionary and, and, and noble quest to have a, a world philosophy and a language thereof, one wonders would the would the one wonders would the premise premises behind the categorization stem from Western philosophy? Or Indian philosophy, or neither, or both. How? What is the? What is the? Um, the the container for such a language, or would there be one? Would it be tied to a particular tradition? These are just questions that come to mind. Well, um, as far as ontology and metaphysics go, uh, each philosophical system has its own uh, um, system of. Uh, classifying substances. It's each system, each tradition has its own point of view of seeing the natural world. And um, that, from that particular point of view, one should look at, at each one of those traditions. For example, if, you go, if we go uh, into Neoplatonism, we have um, uh, the, the, the five categories of porphyry, um, which he borrowed from um, uh, Aristotle for predicables. Um, uh, so each robust metaphysical system has its own category. And what I try to do with Vaisheshka is to present its own categories and explain them from an Indian point of view first, and second, from a comparative point of view. Because as I said, concepts and categories must be translated or are translatable. And not only, uh, I believe that uh, concepts can be translated such as translation is uh, possible. Professor Tite? Yes, comparative method is very useful in order to understand, for example, Indian philosophy. We must also compare it with Greek philosophy and the other uh, philosophies also in the world. And similarly, in order to understand the other philosophies, the understanding or the knowledge of Indian philosophy will also be helpful. So this comparative outlook is very much useful in order to have a complete picture of the problems and their answers. 
I was hoping we would maybe share an aphorism or two. I mean, there's so much richness in them. It's it's for those who don't have a concept of what what Vaisheshika is doing or how it operates. If there was one or two aphorisms that come to mind that we can share with the listeners, I think that would be brilliant. Well, I should probably start since I have the book under my eyes. Um, uh, um, and to read the first three aphorisms, which are fundamental because they um, or perhaps uh, the first five, no, the first four, uh, because they are fundamental for the structure of the system. So it begins from the most uh, universal concept, Dharma, which contains also uh, a pluralistic uh, meaning. So Dharma is both universal but also pluralistic in the sense there are many dharmas. Substances in the world are defined by dharmas, are not just uh, anti-abhishesha, uh, ultimate um, uh, specificity, but they are known through dharma-vishesha, which dharma-vishesha uh, is obtained through yogic practice. So um, intellection, intuition, yogic intuition, plays a very important cognitive role in understanding the essence of the world and also uh, to liberate us from the world. And that's why the first uh, aphorism says, now, therefore, we shall explain Dharma. Second aphorism, Dharma is that from which there is achievement of elevation and liberation. Third aphorism, the authority of sacred text is because these represent the speech of that, that being God or the absolute. The fourth aphorism, earth, water, luster, air, vacuum, time, space, soul, mind, these are the substances of Aisheshka philosophy. And then aphorism five goes on on listing qualities. So you see here being uh, three or four important concepts being explained. Dharma, which is probably the hardest. Second, liberation. Third, uh, the authority of the text. Who? And then fourthly, uh, the list of substances. And then the list of qualities and list of action. If you, uh, those who listen to us know uh, philosophy, at least in um, in the manner in which Aristotle put it, when he uh, talked about um, um, four categories: definition, substance, quality, and um, and another one which I forgot now. Um, but he also talked about ten forms of predication, the category, uh, and he provided, for example way in which to define the nature of the world through substances, through qualities, through actions. These are categories of Vaisheshka too. Uh, we, we don't have to, to study Aristotle to understand the Indian metaphysics, but you see striking um, classifications here, uh, which makes sense. I mean, um, it's a very systematic analytical for analytical uh, philosophy has not been the invention of Western or Greek philosophy or Aristotle has been developed 
uh, developed independently in India too. And this is why Shishika, for example, talks about six categories, um, which it explains in detail. Excellent. Was there anything else about the book that you wanted to touch on? Here, one thing may be noted that uh, dharma or religion has been defined by Vaisheshya Sutra in a very secular manner. This point has to be noted because it uh, defines dharma as something which helps us to progress in this world as well as to get liberation. But generally, the religion consists of uh, the mythology and the ritual and some ethos. But here there is no reference to mythology, there is no reference to uh, any ritual and so on. So this is the definition which we can call the most secular definition of religion, which we will not find anywhere in any other text. And that is the importance of Vaisheshika school, that uh, it is a very realistic school and practical school of philosophy. That's fascinating. So before we close, tell us, uh, just to drive the point home, who is this book for? Who do you think would most benefit from reading this book? I think uh, any student of philosophy, he should read this because it is a, one of the basic texts of uh, Vaisheshika school. And before going into other details, he should first try to understand the basic tenets of the Vaisheshika school, which have been clearly defined and which have been clearly explained in this text, uh, in the form of sutra as well as the form of commentary. That is the significance mm -hmm. of this book. Yes. All, all philosophy students who are interested in um, metaphysics and ontology, ontology first and metaphysics uh, second. Um, I know that in English language they don't draw uh, the, this difference between the, uh, ontology and metaphysics, but there is one. Um, because why Cheshika uh, is a science of being, and if one sh uh, uh, wishes to uh, begin studying philosophy, then they should start first uh, with this question, what is being, what is substance, uh, how can be known it, how can be predicated, in which way, how can be known it, uh, know, uh, know, known it. So uh, all uh, philosophy students who are interested in fundamental concepts related to the world in, in which we live, and uh, other worlds, possible worlds. Fantastic. Um, thank you both for appearing on the podcast today. Thank you very much. Thank you very much. For those of you listening, we've been speaking with uh, Dr. Yonut Moise and Dr. Ganesh Kite on their brand new 2021 um, Rutledge Hindu Studies series publication, the Vaisheshika Sutra, a translation. Until next time, um, keep listening, keep reading, and keep contemplating being itself. Take care.